You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, from an Israelite perspective, Goliath is the ultimate impossible challenge. I mean, the guy uh, is a battle-tested warrior. He's fully armed with Iron Age technology against the Bronze Age Israelites at this point. He's got some really nasty words, doesn't he? And most of all, this guy is nine feet tall. It's the ultimate challenge. And he stands there in the Valley of Elah, which, by the way, is a valley that goes from the Western Plains along the Mediterranean where the Philistines were settled, right into the heartland of the Israelite settlement in Judea. It's as though... Uh, Goliath with his armies is knocking on the door of Israel saying, you open this thing or I'm going to kick it in because I intend to have you and your families for lunch. And the Israelites are shaking. This so far exceeds their capacity to deal with it that they are absolutely frozen in fear. This week I saw a piece in the Seattle Times, uh, an op-ed written by a woman named Laura Pavlou. She's a survivor of domestic violence and depression. But in 2009, she formed an organization that helps women face their impossible challenges. Laura goes into prisons uh, to work with the women there. She introduces us in this particular piece to a woman who tragically was abused by her father as a child, then by her brother, then by her uncle, grew up to marry a man who abused her as well. And as she sat in that cell with tears in her eyes, she told Laura, in this prison cell is the first place in my life I have ever felt safe. Laura says, you know, I meet women in these jail cells who have all kinds of stories of facing impossible challenges. 95% of them talk about stories of poverty, incest, molestation, rape, drug addiction, and alcoholism. And you know what? Some of us in this room, we know some of those giants ourselves. Whether you know those giants or other giants, I insist this morning that all of us face impossible challenges. We all do. Whether you live in a cell or a penthouse, whether your view is the prison yard or Puget Sound, there's something in your life that is bigger than you are, and you don't know how to face it. And I also want to say, by the way, to those of you who can't think of anything this morning that really intimidates you, maybe you need to go find a giant. Helen Keller said that life is either an adventure or it is nothing. There is no such thing as security. It doesn't exist. And our Savior Jesus Christ said, in this life you will have tribulation, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. We are a people set free to face adversity. Maybe your giant is anxiety or finances or illness or maybe school or work or a language you're trying to acquire or boredom or loneliness or depression, whatever it is. There's something in your life that, like this great beast of a man, Goliath, will rise morning and evening, will step out into your face and very publicly disgrace you, dress you down, proclaim for all to hear that you uh, are weak and vulnerable and utterly incapable of facing this challenge. 
In the midst of that, we have David. It seems to me that David is the only guy who really moves in this scene. Maybe you know the story. Just You can think about that old story of David and Goliath. And In my mind, the picture is nobody's moving except for David. We get the positions of all the players on one side of the Valley of Eli, the Philistines. Uh, they're not moving because they have their giant and they don't have to. On the other side, the ranks of the Israelites, they're not moving because the Philistines have their giant and they don't dare to. And these people are there, and in the middle there's Goliath, and he's the guy that opens his mouth with these horrible taunts, and he says, let me make you a deal. He makes a champion's deal. The word champion is only used in this place uh, in the Hebrew, in the whole Bible. It means a man who stands between. Goliath is a champion because he's a man who stands between these uh, two armies as an infantryman ready to do battle. And he offers a deal that historians call us, uh, tell us is uh, representative combat. It's kind of an interesting practice. We have evidence of it throughout the ancient world. In Homer, for example, we see uh, representative combat. We see it also in, in this area, in the ancient Near East, even before Homer. The idea is that you could maybe minimize the, the bloodshed and the loss of a uh, dangerous clash between uh, two peoples by putting forth a representative for your team. So we basically, we'll take our best guy and you take your best guy and we let them fight to the death. And whoever wins is the one who wins the whole war. And Goliath makes that offer to the Israelites. I win, you become our slaves. Your champion wins, we become yours. Give me a man. That's what he says. <laughs> but nobody's moving on the Israelite side, most especially not Saul. You know, Saul is the guy that everybody's looking at. Every Israelite head goes, Whoop. because Saul, remember, is described to us physically as head and shoulders above every other Israelite. He's the one guy that sees almost eye to eye with Goliath, but he's the one guy, poor Saul, who can't even bring himself to budge. For 40 days, how's that for Lent? For 40 days, Goliath comes out and taunts everybody and nobody moves, except for one, a youth probably 15 years old, a boy. And he seems to us so naive, so innocent, so foolish, so unaware of how the real world works. David, while all the world is frozen, moves. We find him moving among the troops, asking this question, really, is, is this our response? We find him moving down into the brook for the Valley of Elah is a, a wadi, it's a dry riverbed, and he he bends over to pick up five smooth stones, you remember. And then the climax, of course, as you read, David runs. He runs when nobody else can find their feet. He runs into the face of his impossible challenge. Where could we find hope like that? And what would hope like that look like in your life? David's there to share hope, make no mistake. He comes up to Saul before he runs, and he says to Saul, uh, he says in uh, verse 32, he says, Saul, let no one's heart fail. Don't let your heart fall. Don't capitulate to despair. Don't let the fear get to you. Don't let anyone's heart fall, he says. For your servant, speaking of himself, David, for your servant will fight. Well, if you want to find hope like that in your life, I think the narrator so frames this story to call attention 
to this question, what do you bring to your fight? I think the narrator wants us to be preoccupied with the difference between what Goliath brings and what David brings. What does Goliath bring to this fight? Well, he's described uh, with all of his armaments. It's armor he brings. This is the most detailed description of armor anywhere in the Bible. We're told about his shin guards. We're told about his mail, which weighs 125 pounds. We're told about his helmet. We're told about his uh, spear with iron tip. Um, This guy is fully loaded. Talk about asymmetrical warfare. He's got everything. Uh, And he's armed. But I've been thinking about this week, and I thought, isn't that funny? I mean, here's a guy who's nine feet tall, and you wouldn't think he needs very much armor if you're that big, that bad. I wonder why that would be, that he's so fully armed, unless that, you know, maybe over a period of years, his whole life perhaps, the big kid winning fights, it becomes part of his identity, this bellicosity, this uh, need to win every little skirmish in life so that it's so much part of who he is now that he cannot afford to lose even the least bit. So he covers every inch of his body, every inch of his body, but his forehead apparently is, is covered. Isn't that interesting? I think what he brings to this fight is his fear. I think Goliath is covered in fear and self-protective responses. What does David bring to the fight? Well, if, like me, you're tempted to say, nothing, then I want to suggest to you that you, like me, show in that response how much the imagination of Goliath has colonized your mind. Because it's Goliath who looks at David and says, what am I, a dog? This kid's got nothing. That's Goliath's assessment of what David brings into the battle. And you look at David and you say, well, wait a minute, isn't he right? I mean, after all, he, he couldn't wear Saul's armor. You know, there's a comic little scene where he tries to put on Saul's armor, can't even walk, he's falling over, you know. He's, so he's got no sword, he's got a stick, you know, a shepherd's stick, and he's got five smooth stones, and it really looks to us like it's absolutely nothing. Except that David disagrees. David comes with his own words against Goliath, and he says to him, I come to you, verse 45, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I come to you with a name, and that is not nothing. That name is everything. And David won't need four of his five stones. The name of the Lord. The name suggests the knowledge of who the Lord is. The name suggests the authority of what the Lord can do on this earth. David is the only guy, apparently, among all the Israelites who remembers his Sunday school lesson. The 400 years earlier when Israel had been on the border of the promised land and they'd seen giants and they'd seen a superior technology, heard Moses say, oh, don't be afraid. It's Deuteronomy 1. Have no dread or fear. The Lord your God who goes before you is the one who will fight for you. And David says to Saul, your servant will fight for you. Because David knows this is not Israel's battle. This is not Saul's battle. This is not David's battle. The battle is the Lord's, verse 47. The battle is the Lord's. Remember that this week. Everybody else says, no, no, it's my battle. 
When your health is failing, you look at your body and go, it's my body, it's just me, it's in mutiny against me, it's just me, it's my battle, my fight with whatever. Your family, when it's going through a hard time, you say, no, 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 it's our, this is our fight, it's our battle. And David says, don't you think that for a second? This is not your battle, the battle belongs to the Lord. And remember representational combat? David says, I can go out there because I know somebody else has gone before me. I know I have a greater champion who takes the field before me and with me, and he shall surely not be defeated. So he runs. One plus God is always a majority. You've heard that before, but nobody else has done the calculation the way David has done the calculation. They haven't factored God into their math. David is the one guy who's willing to do that, and so he breaks open this absolutely deadly and deadlocked scene with a kind of a freedom that seems almost irresponsible to us, but he runs right up in defiance of an impossible challenge and says, this is going to be easy. Because you're standing in front of the living God, not a boy with stones or sticks. What do you bring to the impossible challenges in your life? What do you bring? Are you so saturated with the norms of our culture that you bring technology and your IRAs and your education and your social connections, your big home, your big cars, extreme diets, <laughs> um, deadly boot camp uh, workouts? You know, all these things are good things. Um, but the truth is, None of them can save us. And when we go into life hoping that we're equipped to face all kinds of adversity with these kinds of things, we find ourselves very disappointed and sometimes it's too late. Or do you face the impossible challenge in your life in the name of God? David is an ordinary man. He's not even a maze boy. But he knows an extraordinary name. Jesus says, you will face tribulation in this world, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's the name you and I need, Jesus. There was a burglar one night who was breaking into a home. It was dark and he was slowly moving across the living room when he heard a voice and it made his blood run cold. The voice said, Jesus is watching. Now, that's weird. He froze and he waited. Uh, maybe my mind is playing tricks on me. And so he crept a little bit further, hearing no more. And then all of a sudden, there it was again. Jesus is watching. He looked into the corner, and he saw through the darkness on a perch, there was a parrot. And he said, oh, gosh, this is this bird. And he said, what's your name? And he said, my name is Clarence. He said, Clarence, what a stupid name. for a bird. Who would name a bird Clarence? And the bird said, the same guy that named the pit bull Jesus. <laughs> Sick him, Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is watching, not hoping to trip you up, but, but because he loves you. And if you want to know what, God, what God's intention is towards the challenge that you face tonight, I want you today, I want you to look at the cross. For everything you need to know about what God is committed to doing in your life is there visible on the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest servant king running at the greatest of giants in representational combat. That's what he's doing. God in the fullness of time took on human flesh so that he could stand within our ranks, immobilized as we are by fear and sin and death, and he could step forward on our behalf, having no sin of his own. 
He could look at the champion of darkness and death and say, take me. I will fight you. And here's the deal, Jesus says. If you win, you take all of these. They deserve it. They're yours. But if I win, and you work for me, and you're my slave, and it will be the end of sin and death and hopelessness. And Jesus is our champion. The writer of the book of Hebrews says as much in chapter 2. Since we share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same thing, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus is our champion, he says. It's representational combat. When you hear someone in your life, the powers of darkness looking you in the face and saying, you're not good enough. You have no right. You'll never make it through. Death will be the end of you, and it's coming soon. You look right back, and you say, I have a name for you, and that name is Jesus Christ. This is the point that I'm trying to make this morning. You and I are called to run towards life in the name of Jesus. To run towards life in the name of Jesus. Several years ago, my dad was given uh, permission to fish on somebody else's private property in Idaho. It's a beautiful um, spring creek, trout stream, and uh, it's very hard to get access to it. This part's impossible to get access to. Uh, But I was traveling, and my dad said, hey, George, you're going to go by this area in Idaho. Why don't you go fish this stretch of river? And I said, do you think I can? He says, sure, I'll write a letter to the guy that owns it. And he wrote a letter, and he got permission, and he told me about the letter. He said, George, if anybody gives you a hard time, you use my name. That's exactly what Jesus says to you today. My daughter, my son, as you go out into life, if anybody gives you a hard time, then you use my name. I mean, the four things that Jesus very quickly tells us, calls us to, if we want to be alive in Christ and share hope. He says, first of all, know my name. I want you to know my name. He says to his disciples, know me. Secondly, he says, trust my name. Do you believe the promises? They may be hundreds of years old, but trust them today. Third, pray in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus keeps saying, pray in my name. And then fourth, live in my name. Know, trust, pray, and live in my name. What are you facing today? In the 17th century, a great Scotsman named Samuel Rutherford was thrown in prison. And with the eyes of faith, he said one day, Jesus Christ came into my cell yesterday, and every stone shone like a jewel. Are you stuck? Where are you looking for security? Is God in your math? And what would it look like for you, not to turn, but to run into adversity in the name of Jesus? Imagine what it would be like for us as a community, not just with our own challenges, but if we said, We were going to be the kind of people that would run into the impossibilities of Seattle and the people who live in our city. Run into the impossibilities of this world with the name of Jesus. But I don't think it would take more than 12 of us to change the world. There's a man in San Diego by the name of Bob Goff. And he's a normal man. But one day he was reading the news and uh, he read about Uganda and the mutilation, the ritual mutilation of young boys, you know, the orphans that are in Uganda, and the witch doctors are taking advantage of boys. And uh, he might have done what, what I oftentimes do, 
Uh, and that is to say, oh, this is horrible. It's happening somewhere in the world. Close the newspaper and move on to the next story and leave it at that. But, but Bob this is the kind of guy that likes to look at impossibility and think differently about it. And so he gets on a plane and he goes to Uganda. With no appointment or no connections, he goes to the judiciary. And he just walks in the building, this huge building, looks around, and he looks for the office that seems like it's got the most traffic. Maybe this will be an influential person. Reads the name off the door, goes in, and talks his way into a hearing with this judge. He establishes common ground. They both love their countries, and they both love children. And then he says, you know, I'm reading about the mutilation of these boys, and we've got to do something to stop this. And the judge said, oh, I would love to be able to stop that. But the fact is, these witch doctors have so locked down the community, these boys rarely survive the mutilation. And when they do, nobody will testify. And Bob says, well, if you'll join me in this, we'll make this work. He's a, a lawyer, and I was able to find a boy who had been mutilated and survived. They nicknamed him Charlie. Charlie agreed to testify against the witch doctor in his town, and they prosecuted him. These two men, Bob and the judge, sent him away for 50 years. Now, out of this moment, there was an opportunity to begin prosecuting all of these witch doctors. The story doesn't end there, though. Uh, this witch doctor, because Bob would visit him in prison from time to time, came to know Jesus Christ and now leads Bible studies in this Ugandan jail. And the boy nicknamed Charlie, his story got some publicity, and an American surgeon said, you know what, I, I specialize in this kind of reconstructive surgery, and if you'll come to America, I can heal you. And he did, Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. If you ask Bob Goff about this story, by the way, he's written a book called Love Does, which I recommend, Love Does. And Bob will, will tell you, oh, there's nothing special about me. He'd be even very embarrassed at the suggestion. But the fact is, he doesn't believe anything's impossible when Jesus is on your team. I mean, if Jesus is with you, go for it. That's the way he lives his life. Live the adventure. Why wouldn't you? Jesus is with you. What could stop you? This is Jesus. Well, this is what it means to share hope, to run towards life in the name of Jesus. Martin Luther understood this when he penned this great hymn, A Mighty Fortress in our God, is Our God. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, that means Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Let's pray. God, you send us forth from this place before long this morning. And you send us into a world that uh, outsizes us in so many ways. We pray for one another because we know that some face giants that are very close, that are very deadly, and we ask that you give them the kind of freedom and courage that David had. We thank you for your identification with us. We thank you for the victory that we've received, and now we pray, Lord, that we can face the battle with an uncommon courage. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, for the sake of his name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette.
To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.